the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, and my Redeemer. Amen. Have a seat, please. I want to thank Eric for giving me the opportunity to preach today. This is a special text for me. At Racine Vocational Ministry, where I work, I have a relatively new employee. She's smart, confident, and a woman of faith. She spent last week in Michigan comforting her mother during a murder trial. Before I met her, her brother was killed. It was a brutal gang murder, and it broke her mother's heart. Two weeks ago, she went back to Michigan for the trial. They had to endure experiencing the pictures of the crime scene all over again hear of all the details of how he was tortured and executed. They had to listen to a lawyer tell the jury how her brother's lifestyle was the real reason that he died. Then the hardest of all, they had to listen to the testimony of the man accused of killing her brother. He was cleaned up, rehearsed, and respectable. Dealing with his death and funeral was hard enough, reliving the details of the murder all over again. It's just awful. Can you imagine being in this scenario and not being troubled? In our reading today, one of the most difficult conversations Jesus ever had with his disciples ended with, let not your hearts be troubled. Much easier said than done sometimes. There's one thing I've learned from Father Steve. <laughs> it is, what is the biblical context? Although this might be one of the more familiar sequences in the gospel, let's briefly go over it. Because I believe the context of this kind of somewhat benign phrase is critically important to grasp the full weight of the words, let not your hearts be troubled. This phrase is not in the context of someone skinning their knee and the mother picking them up and going, shh, it'll be okay. It's much more, has much more uh, gravity. It follows one of the more troubling and disconcerting conversations that Jesus actually has with his apostles. Jesus spoke these words in the context of what some scholars call the last discourse. What they mean by that is this is the last time they will eat together or share a relaxed conversation. There's a foreboding about his comments, and they know it. It is more like the conversation you have when somebody sits down and says, I need to tell you, cancer. Jesus is hours from the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial, the public shaming of carrying his cross and his humiliating death, a death generally reserved for slaves, thieves, and enemies of the state. Chapter 13, just prior to today's reading, starts with the phrase, Jesus knew his hour had come. Then he washed his disciples' feet. He told them he was going to be betrayed by one of their own and that he would be handed over to the authorities. And that Peter, the rock on whom the church would eventually be built, would deny him three times. How could their hearts not be troubled? Chapter 14 is a change of focus for Jesus. He makes a shift to begin to comfort his disciples and his friends. Today's gospel reading is a continuation of that last conversation with his disciples just prior to the garden and the arrest. So when Judas is sent out by Jesus to betray him, he turns to comfort his disciples who must have been confused and afraid. 
he encourages them to consider a few truths. Heaven is their everlasting rest, that he himself is the way, and that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come. What Jesus appears to be saying is, do not be troubled by the truth. Truth can be harsh, but in the end, the truth will set you free. He says later in chapter 16, in the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is sharing a challenging truth that goes beyond the world's idea of don't worry, be happy, or as it's quoted in the Old Testament, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Make no mistake, that broken cultural narrative is is as old as civilization itself. Jesus and the Apostle Paul in our readings today are challenging that with the truth, as we say, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So, how can one not be troubled and be of good cheer when difficulty is pending or when you're in the midst of it? Well, let's consider the full implication of Jesus' statement, believe in God and believe in me also. There are a couple steps here. First, the disciples are commanded not to be troubled and to believe. Jesus did not say, try not to be troubled, or why don't you consider belief? It's a command. Next, I think Jesus says the most provocative statement in this chapter, although we've heard it so many times, it doesn't sound so provocative. He says, believe in me also. Very provocative. He's saying, I'm God. It's hard to grasp the audacity of that statement when we've heard this message so often in our church, we've heard it preached on, and we believe it ourselves. Unless you put yourself in the apostles' feet, or maybe even in a situation yourself where a friend comes up and says, oh, by the way, I met God. He's my neighbor. Why don't you come have coffee? It's that provocative. Jesus in the flesh, a man born of woman, says he's God. Next, he also does something. He also says, I do nothing except what the Father tells me. The implication of that is really important because he specifically called each of these apostles to himself. And because he called them to himself, his Father also called him to himself. That's another fairly profound thing. God specifically called those people to that man at that time and place. We do not have a disinterested God. One commentator says, Jesus could have said, what room is there for distress or anxiety if you realize this? You are in God's hands, you are also in mine, and on this faith, dismiss your fears. This is also why we have prayers like, may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and mind in the knowledge of God and of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray for peace that surpasses human understanding. It's not rooted in us or what we do. I encourage you to begin to consider rooting your faith in what God has done, especially in challenging situations. It's not about what we can muster in a situation. It's about God coming to us. My employee's brother was brutally murdered. He was decapitated in a warehouse. As I was talking to her last week, I realized that there was no way short of denial that she was going to be able to squeeze any piece 
out of her situation. Without the work of God and a Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired perspective on who God is. This is why the psalmists say things like in Psalm 40, I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, O Lord, my cry for help. Or in Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you do I put my trust. In Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. One of the reasons we read and study the scripture is so that we can live in God's perspective and not be subject to our limited understanding or be overwhelmed by the constant realization of our own limited resources. In God, there is abundance. In ourselves, there are natural limitations. We've all bumped up against them. In Romans, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's yet another reason not to be troubled. The truth is that he's going to prepare a place for us. In the context of this very difficult night, Thomas's anxious response is, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. What are you talking about? Jesus again seeks to reassure them, I am the way and the truth. In John's epistles, we're referred to as children of God. Picture this. A child follows their mother or father into a store, holding their hand, mostly unaware of where they're going or how they're going to get there. They simply follow in faith that the parent knows where they are going. If the child is well-adjusted, they're generally okay with the fact that they do not know where they're going as they trust the one who's leading them. I remember driving to Tennessee with my dad when I was a kid. I remember having, as I look back, no anxiety about how we were going to get there. I had no idea how to get to Tennessee. <laughs> I was 10. <laughs> I didn't know. I realize now that I could have been, but I had faith in my father. I also remember on that same trip, my mom saying to my dad, are we lost? <laughs> Calmly, as my dad can do, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, no, I know exactly where I am. I just don't know where we're going. <laughs> my sister and I laughed, and neither of us were worried. We had driven with him hundreds of times, and even when he got turned around, we always found our way to safety. Or I might not be here. <laughs> we always did. As kids, we believed. At that moment, my mom, not so much. As adults, we miss much of this context. As children of God, we need to recover the concept of walking by faith and not by sight. We need to acknowledge that letting God lead is an act of faith that can lead to life and light. This is the way of God. Walking in fear and dread is the way of the enemy. This is not to marginalize our, marginalize our fears or anxieties. Part of the good news of this story is that Jesus appears to acknowledge their fears and the incredible difficulty of the next few hours. In spite of their fear, he offers hope that can only be realized in reframing the issue around the will of God and his love for them. We need to learn to let go of the anxiety of where we're going and like the child, just be present to God's leading and companionship. 
it is clear that even Jesus had to deal with the pain of the Garden of Gethsemane, but he bears it in the context of what God is doing and what God has done. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is part of what Jesus is talking about in this idea. Are we willing to take somebody's hand and let them lead? As adults, it's counterintuitive. As people of faith, it's critical. It's like Peter who walks out to the boat on the water. He says to Jesus, bid me come. Jesus says, come on out. And he's fine. He's walking on water until he becomes more distracted by his environment, worried about the wind and the waves. His eyes come off Jesus, and he begins to sink. It's important to remember that he didn't falter until he became more aware of his perception of his environment than on the Savior who called him out. There's a process here. Remember the story of Jesus in the boat? It says in Mark, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Did they really believe that they would drown while the creator of the universe was in the boat with them? I could say I think they lost perspective. His grace will be sufficient for our need. Let your heart not be troubled. And what about that place he's preparing? Think of the phrases on the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking with them after his resurrection and, he, and, and they realize later, did our hearts not burn while Jesus opened the scripture to us? Does our heart not long to be in the courts of the Lord? Do we yearn to be with Jesus, unhindered by the flesh and the world? Fear is of the enemy, but so are low expectations. Jesus raises the bar when he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? One commenter says it this way. Jesus could have said, if there be no place for you in that realm to which I am ascending, I would have, I would have told you and not raised your hopes of being with me where I shall be, but would have bid you to be content with the low expectations of such paradise as your countrymen imagine. It is far different. The reality will be far above your highest desires. When I read things like that, my heart is not troubled. I have hope. The Apostle Paul also knew this when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How countercultural is that? To die is gain. Paul then says in our reading for today, let us comfort one another with these words because the reality will be far above your highest desires. And don't forget, low expectations are the work of the enemy. Living this way of faith and joy is not easy. It's clearly against the current of our culture and many of our own fatalistic outlooks. But this perceptive perception and faith is the stabilizer of our vocation. We are encouraged over and over to not be afraid or not to be troubled. In fact, it's one of the most commonly used phrases in Scripture, Old and New Testament. Have no fear. Do not be afraid. Eugene Peterson translates Isaiah 41:10 to say, 
And think of the little kid in the store when I read this. Don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need for fear, for I am your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. I will keep a firm grip on you. In other words, let not your hearts be troubled. To do this as a way of life requires us to begin seeing ourselves through our faith and what God has done rather than our shortcomings. Again, another challenge. Consider again what Paul says. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When my worker from Michigan came back, she was clearly out of sorts. She was not the same person. She missed a critical workshop that she was leading and didn't even call in. We later learned that she was also in the process of losing her home. Her life was falling apart. She was trying to hold it together, but she just couldn't. I'm not sure I would have been able to either. As an employer, I began to wonder, how can she help our clients through their troubles when she's so anxious and distracted by her own challenges about the brutal death of her brother? After all the troubling things she had heard and she'd been put through, she did not need to be scolded or challenged for being a bad employee. Like Jesus with the apostles, after all those disquieting words, she needed a word of comfort. She needed to hear Jesus saying to her, let your heart not be troubled. After a brief conversation, she looked me in the eye and said, I want you to know I am the woman you hired. I will pull it together. She needed to hear the Lord say to her, in the world you will have hard trials. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the news. I have overcome the world. This is truly good news. It is also good to know that someone is willing to deal kindly and gently with our foibles, our mishaps, and our challenges. Jesus could have been angry with Judas. He could have made an example of Judas to the apostles right after he left. He could have chided Peter about his impending denial and challenged him on his lack of faith and allegiance. Very important when we read this story to understand that Jesus is modeling a way of truth-telling that does not hurt, shame, or blame. In chapter 13, it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. It also says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In this final discourse, he handled their anxiety, their confusion, their betrayals, and denial with gentleness and understanding. He'll do the same with you. There's more good news. (laughs) This reading's full of them. Although the apostle had no way of knowing at the time of of this conversation, Paul says in Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. We know that Jesus not only overcame the world, but he overcame death. Death no longer has power over us. Jesus, the first man of flesh to enter heaven, now sits at the Father's right hand, opening the door to all men to follow in his path. We proclaim every Sunday that Christ has died and Christ has risen. Because of that resurrection, we are assured of being with him, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. We will be with him, ever praising God. 
and I'm reminded that better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. There's more good news. In heaven, we will be reunited with all those who have passed before. There will be a blessed reunion. Those who have gone on before are alive and praying for you. They're already in the place prepared for them. I want you to just think for a minute and consider a loved one who has gone before. They're with the Lord. They love you more than they could ever loved you on earth with the full knowledge of God and the Lamb, fully in the light of God. We call this important theological concept the communion of saints. It's been described very simply as a fellowship between Christians living and dead. This is exactly why Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. We have hope. In life and in death, we have hope. It's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> the veil between heaven and earth is thinner than we know. About now I'm starting to feel a bit like the Ginsu commercial. Do you remember that one? But wait, there's more. We say Christ has died, Christ has risen, but we also say Christ will come again. Jesus also says in this passage, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Why? So that where I am, there you may be also. Have you ever wondered or fantasized what it would be like to hang out with Jesus like the apostles did? I have, many times. These are words of encouragement. They are words of hope. We do not live or die as those without hope. Paul says we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. Therefore, read Mark and inwardly digest, as the colic says. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. As Paul says, encourage one another these words with these words. And most of all, let not your hearts be troubled. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.